My name is Rick Renner, and I'm sitting on the foundation stones to the Temple of Asclepius, which was located in the bottom section of ancient Pergamum in the Roman province of Asia. This was a massive healing center, which was called the Asclepion. Now I'm sitting in the Temple of Asclepius. Asclepius was the god of healing. The people came here from all over the Roman world to be healed, and when they came here, they were treated by medical doctors and by the priests of Asclepius who attempted to use supernatural powers to heal the sick. This was an amazing place populated with sick people who had come from all over the world. Even great Roman emperors came here to be healed. And as part of the healing process, they worshiped the god Asclepius in this temple where I'm seated now. It's built very similar to the Pantheon in the city of Rome. It was very big, very elegant, very ornamented. And the pagans would come here to worship the god Asclepius in the hope of being healed. Believers would never enter into this temple. They had been delivered from places like this. When they were saved and washed in the blood, they were delivered from all of these pagan localities. And to come here was not a smart thing to do. They understood that demons operated in this place, and if you come into these places, you could leave these places oppressed. So they shunned these places. But there was a group of false teachers in Ephesus and in Pergamum called the Nicolaitans. And the Nicolaitans said, hey, we need to relax our rules. Rather than live so separate from the rest of the world, we need to befriend the world. We need to go where they go, do what they do, learn to speak their language, be more like them, so they'll be more accepting of us. And the Nicolaitans espoused compromise with the world. And in Revelation 2.5 and 2.15, Christ says emphatically he is so against their deeds and their doctrines that he hated them. He didn't hate the Nicolaitans, he hated their deeds and he hated their doctrines. We need to know what is the doctrine and the deeds of the Nicolaitans so that we can resist it in our own time. And that's what I'm gonna to talk to you about today. Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick. Welcome to the program. Like I told you in the introduction, today we're going to be looking at Nicolaitanism. What in the world is Nicolaitanism and who were the Nicolaitans? They must have been a very serious group of people because Jesus really was upset about the Nicolaitans, and that's what we're going to see today in Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, 15, and we're going to begin in verse 16. We'll go there deeper tomorrow, but it's going to be a good program. Nicolaitanism was beginning to flourish in the early church, and it was detrimental to the life of the church, and Christ was against it. In fact, Jesus says he hated the deeds and the doctrines of the Nicolaitans. The word hate is very strong. Why did he hate it? He didn't hate them. He just hated what they represented. Why? That's what we're going to see today. It's going to be good. But I want to remind you that I'm offering you my series called Christ's Message to Pergamum, a 10-part series based on these programs. Have you enjoyed these programs? I've just enjoyed sitting down with you and teaching you from the Bible about the church of Pergamum and Christ's Message to Pergamum and all of its relevance for you and me today. There's 10 parts in this series with all the videos and the photography and the Greek words and history. There's so much, all of it applicable to your life. And it comes with a study guide that is really 
tremendous. You will love the study guide. This is good for you to use personally or to share with a friend. You need to be sharing the Word of God with somebody. You could do it at lunch. You can meet for breakfast. Just 10 days, share the Word of God together. Or it would be great for a Bible study. I want to really encourage you to order your copy today. We're also offering you my book called No Room for Compromise, Christ's Message to Today's Church. The back of the book says the Bible is clear that at the end of the age, that's you and me, we're living in the end of the age, a spiritual hurricane will strike. God is calling on his remnant to not bow to any external pressure. In these final hours of the church age, God will have a remnant. Will you be among them? That's a very important question. And in this book, I discuss everything that is needed for you to stand strong regardless of the spiritual storm that comes our direction. And the book is so enjoyable because it's full color every page every page is like a feast for the eyes it's not just information it is visual information that will cause the teachings of the bible to simply come alive for you and i want to encourage you to order your copy today but today we're going to jump right back into revelation chapter 2 and very quickly read verse 14 and in revelation 2 14 jesus is speaking to the church of pergamum and he says but i have a few things against thee because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of balaam who taught balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication and we saw that this event took place in Numbers chapter 25. Balaam did not have the power to curse God's people, but he didn't give up. He wanted to bring God's people down. So he introduced a doctrine or a method to destroy God's people. And he said to King Balak, let me tell you how to destroy God's people. I can't curse them. So let's get them to curse themselves. And likewise, the devil can't curse you. But through your incorrect behavior, you can bring a lot of destruction into your own life. You don't want to do that. So let's pay attention to what happens in Numbers chapter 25. And here is what Balaam said to Balak. Balak was his apprentice. And Balaam was saying, let me tell you what to do. If you do what I say, judgment will come on the people of Israel. They will incur wrath because of their own behavior. Let's send the naked Moabite women out in front of the Israeli troops. They haven't seen their wives in a long time. And let's lure them into sin. And when they're lured into sin, then they will create such a horrible spiritual violation, they will incur judgment. That was the doctrine of Balaam. And the Bible tells us about it in Numbers 25, verses 1 through 3, which says, And Israel brought in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And the daughters called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods. And the men did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Well, first of all, Shittim was a place where there was a grove of trees and there was a mountain. And on the top of the mountain, there was a temple to Baal Peor. Baal Peor was a horrible god, so horrible, I'm not even going to describe what he looked like and what he represented, but it was sexual debauchery of the worst kind. And the Moabite women took off their clothes, went out in front of the men of Israel, dangled themselves 
That's why the Bible says in Revelation 2.14 that Balak cast his stumbling block before the children of Israel. That word before Enopion, within their sight, it was like dangling bait in front of these men. And the men began to speak among themselves and said, hey, what is it hurt if we lower our standards a little bit? God will understand. We haven't been home for a long time. These women are here. Our wives are not near. Hey, this won't hurt. Let's just lower our standards. And the Bible tells us specifically the women, like temptation, called the men unto the sacrifices of their gods. When the men began following, the women led them to the temple of Baal Peor. That was a place of sin. It was so diametrically opposed to everything that stands for a holy God. They should have never gone there. They should have stayed away from there. And when they got there, the Bible says they did eat. They began to eat what they were commanded not to eat. They were not even to touch this kind of behavior. And the Bible says they bowed down to their gods. They begin to literally bend their will, bend their beliefs to accommodate what they wanted to do. And Israel joined himself into Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And I've divided this into five points that are so very applicable to your life and my life. Number one, the women called the men unto the sacrifices of the gods. For those men to go, they had to lower their standards. Number two, the men ate what they should not eat. They entertained what was wrong, and what you entertain, eventually you will do. Number three, they bowed down to the gods, or they bent their beliefs, they modified their faith, and they began to accommodate what they knew should not be accommodated. Number four, Israel joined himself into Baal Peor, or the people began to actually enter into moral defilement, sexual defilement. And finally, number five, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Israel themselves, with no curse from Balaam, just by their own behavior, they incurred judgment. Balaam's doctrine was moral surrender. Here is the doctrine of Balaam. Let's get the people to abandon their faith, modify their faith, morally surrender, and if you can get them to accommodate the world and morally surrender, then they'll enter into activities that God does not approve of, and then God himself will have to deal with his people. And that is exactly what happened in Numbers chapter 25. If Israel had refused to participate, this doctrine could not have been effective. It would have had no power against them whatsoever. But because the people of Israel listened and because they compromised, they incurred judgment upon themselves. This was the doctrine of Balaam. Moral laxness, moral surrender, their results in divine punishment. Well, when you look at Revelation 2 verse 14, it talks about those who held to the doctrine of Balaam. They were holding on to it. This word hold means Christ had already dealt with them and had pleaded with them to let it go. But those who were erring leaders didn't want to let it go. They liked the way they were going. They may have even claimed that they were on the cutting edge of where the church needed to go. We need to be more accommodating, more open-minded. But it led to destruction. I just want to tell you that in the gospel, there's never an option to live in two worlds. You can't live in the church and live in the world at the same time. That option does not exist. Negotiation and accommodation are foreign concepts to the New Testament. God has called us out of darkness. God knows that skirting around the edge of darkness is not the way to flourish. God is for us. God does not want us to go near darkness.
Accommodation to the world was devastating then, and it is devastating to the church today. But then when you get to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 15, Jesus basically says, now let me bring this home to you. He's been using this example of Balaam and Balaam's doctrine. But then when you come to Revelation 2.15, Jesus says, So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. The word hold is the same Greek word, which means they're holding on to, they're refusing to let go of, which means Christ had tried to correct them but they would not submit to correction. They're saying, we're not budging, we're not moving, this is the way we're going, they're holding to it, to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And whatever it was, it was so horrible that Jesus said he hated it. Christ was aware of an insidious plan working inside the church. Here, they had withstood wave after wave of outward persecution, and now an insidious plan was festering right in the midst of them, so horrible that Jesus hated it. Now, Jesus loves everybody, and he even loved the Nicolaitans, but he did not love what they were doing. He hated what they were doing. He loved them. He died for them when he shed his blood. He shed his blood for the Nicolaitans. Jesus has shed his blood for people that are in error today. But he doesn't approve of what they're doing. And sometimes Jesus even hates what people do. And that's what Revelation chapter 2 verse 15 says. You can't argue with it. It's so clear. First of all, the word Nicolaitans is the Greek word Nicolaus, which is a compound of two Greek words. The word Nike means to conquer. The word Laos means laity or people. When you put the two words together, the word Nicolaitan or Nicholas is one who conquers or subdues people. As a group, these Nicolaitans were introducing doctrines and deeds that were conquering God's people. It was pulling a plug on the power. The people were becoming spiritually sick. The church was becoming spiritually weak. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans was bringing the church down. And Jesus said he hated it. The word hate is the Greek word misio. The word misio literally means to hate, abhor, or to find utterly repulsive. It is a deep-seated animosity, intense hatred, repugnance, the feeling towards something that is objectionable. It's something that causes one to feel disgust, repulsion, Again, a deep-seated aversion. This is not just dislike, it is actual Hatred. It conveys the idea of utter contempt, hostility, total intolerance, disgust, and outrage. Jesus was disgusted with what the Nicolaitans were teaching. He had no tolerance for it whatsoever. In fact, he was outraged by it. He found it to be totally repulsive. That's what the word hate, the Greek word misio, means in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 15. Whatever these erring leaders were teaching or endorsing was utterly objectionable to Jesus. I want to say again that Jesus never said he hated the Nicolaitans. Jesus doesn't hate anybody. He didn't hate anybody. But he hated their teachings. He hated their deeds. He hated what they were promoting and endorsing. He hated it. Well, what is Nicolaitanism? Nicolaitanism was the belief that you can live in two worlds. You can be a Christ and live like a pagan at the same time. And in fact, they were lowering the standards so much, they were actually saying, you know what, we need to be more open-minded to these pagans. 
rather than stay away from their pagan temples, it'd be good for us to go there and burn a little incense and mingle among the believers. If we are more like them, then they won't feel such resentment toward us. Let's just lower our standards. Let's water down what we're preaching a little bit. Let's not be so strict, so committed to the Bible. Let's just lower the standards a little bit, blend in with the community and the world around us, and then some of our persecution will go away. That was their teaching. This really is the doctrine of Balaam. Call them into sin, get them to lower their standards, and eventually if they begin entertaining other ideas, they'll enter into participate with moral defilement, and this will incur judgment. That was the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And today in the Christian world, there are emerging spiritual leaders. It's just a fact. Who, like the Nicolaitans of the past, are seeking a dangerous truce with the world under the guise of, listen, inclusiveness and compromise. Pay attention because that word inclusiveness is a dangerous term. It is a dangerous term. Many of these emerging spiritual leaders once held do strong doctrinal positions, but over time they're reshaping their beliefs to meld with a changing moral climate of society, and in the process they are producing a gospel very different from the one produced in the Bible. That's just a fact. Well, what are some of the signs of modern Nicolaitanism? I'm going to give them to you real quick, then we're going to review them. Number one, no emphasis on holy living and separation from the world. Number two, no emphasis on the doctrinal teaching of the Bible. Number three, no emphasis on absolute truth or absolute biblical authority. And number four, no exclusionary belief that Christ alone is the way to heaven. If these four points are embraced, it produces a powerless, weakened version of Christianity where sin is tolerated, separation is ignored, and the need for ongoing repentance is totally disregarded. Now let's cover these very quickly. Number one, no emphasis on holy living and separation from the world. I'm going to read to you right from my notes because I can't improve. First of all, Nicolaitanism dresses itself in the guise of inclusiveness. We need to be inclusive. Rather than live separately from the world, those who espouse this view reason, since everybody is right, no one is wrong, both spiritually and morally, why should there be a need for separation? Leading denominational churches have even taken the position that it's time for the modern church to help homosexuals and transgender people blend into the church along with the other members of the church. This kind of teaching exactly mirrors the teaching of the Nicolaitans in the first century. These modern-day church leaders are promoting a message that will make them more accommodated to the multitude rather than put them in opposition to the expectations of modern society. It's wrong, it's horrible, Christ hated it. Number two, no emphasis on the doctrinal teaching of the Bible. Nicolaitanism dresses itself in the guise of progressiveness, progressiveness. It dismisses as much of the Bible as being too restrictive or exclusive of other people's beliefs. Instead of being a guide to absolute truth, they use the Bible merely as a reference for illustrations, motivational sermons, principles, and so on. The Bible, they say, is never to be used to judge or to imply that somebody is wrong. And this 
current trend is so rampant in the church that the basic tenets of the Christian faith are largely not known by most churchgoers, especially those that are younger. This is an infection that is raging out of control. Basic Bible doctrines like the virgin birth, the sinlessness of Christ, sin, salvation, holiness, eternal judgment, these are totally unknown and many people just think they're optional. Where Nicolaitanism prevails, doctrine is replaced with social action, social justice, and an appeal to mass audiences by making people feel better about themselves. Number three, no emphasis on absolute truth or absolute biblical authority. Nicolaitanism dresses itself in the disguise of being open-minded. It says that everybody has a piece of the puzzle. And to demonstrate how deeply damaging this influence is, it is a statistical fact that more than half of evangelical Christians today do not believe in the absolute truthful authority of the Bible. The statistics are growing so fast that the numbers are constantly being updated. The issue with the new generation is not truth. The issue is respect. Consequently, truth takes a second seat to equally honoring the beliefs of other people, even if those beliefs are diametrically opposed to the doctrines of the Bible. And according to this inclusive, progressive mindset, everybody is right, no one is wrong. Jesus hated this kind of thinking, and that was the thinking of the Nicolaitans. Let's lower our standards, let's be a little more accommodating, pagans are good. Number four, no exclusionary belief that Christ alone is the way to heaven, or Nicolaitanism dresses itself in the guise of tolerance. Do these words sound familiar to you? It asserts that everybody has a piece of the puzzle. It ultimately levels the playing field and makes Christianity simply a truth among other truths. This is a pagan principle that there are many roads leading to the same destination in the afterlife. And according to this mindset, to categorically declare that Christ alone is the way to heaven is nonsense. A recent survey conducted among the most Bible-based groups reveals one-third of young Christians today believe the teachings of Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha, and other religious leaders all lead to heaven. This is a sign of Nicolaitanism, and Jesus hated it, and I can think you see why Jesus hated it. These faulty beliefs result in a powerless, weakened version of Christianity where sin is tolerated, separation is ignored, and the need for ongoing repentance is disregarded. And that is why Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2, verse 16, Repent or else I will come into thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And that's what we're going to deal with in the next program. These verses are so important. Nicolaitanism then was bad. It is bad now. Jesus found it totally disgusting then. It is still totally disgusting to Jesus today. We need to be able to recognize Nicolaitanism and not enter into it. Avoid the doctrine of Balaam, which is lowering our standards to get along with more people. We need to stay by the Word of God, not budge from truth. Truth is truth. Truth never changes. And if the world goes in another direction, that is their right. They can go in another direction. But we as God's people, we can't live in both worlds. We have to decide which world we're going to live in and by what truth we're going to abide. We're out of time, but I'll be back in just a moment, and I'm going to pray for you. Explore the Bible and the first century church with Rick Renner's book, No Room for Compromise. 
In this masterful hardback Bible study, Rick transports you to the first century in the life of the early church, exploring the relevance of Jesus' end-time message to the church of Pergamum then and how that end-time message is relevant today. On every page, Rick reveals the larger context of the book of Revelation and his appearance to the Apostle John, taking you on a journey through the first three centuries of Christian opposition within a pagan world. You'll be amazed to see how the early church thrived through the light, life, and power of Jesus Christ. This beautifully bound 400-page book can be yours for $80. Features on-location photography, added artwork, and historical illustrations that enhance the in-depth teaching. When you call or go online today, you can also get the 10-part teaching series, Christ's Message to the Church in Pergamum. As one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, the church in Pergamum was a light of faith in the pagan darkness. In this series, you'll see how Jesus' message of holding on to faith is just as relevant today as it was in the first century. Available in digital or physical formats, starting at just $20. Don't miss this special offer, No Room for Compromise, and Christ's message to the church in Pergamum. Call now or go to renner.org to order. My name is Joel Renner, coming to you right from Moscow, Russia. And I want to tell you about the certain outreaches of our ministry that we do here in Russia. You know, people need help, but more importantly, people need Jesus. And in these outreaches that we provide, people can have both. They can receive help, and Jesus. For decades, we have been able to touch millions of lives with the gospel of Christ and the love of God. We've been privileged to do this through broadcasting Christian television programs all over the world, starting churches that are thriving to this day, visiting orphanages with gifts for children and the workers, visiting prisons to minister hope in God's word, visiting mental institutions to share the freedom that is found in Christ, equipping graduates of our Bible seminary so they can go out and help others, reaching thousands through our Internet Good News Church with Bible teaching and spiritual care. Because of you, we are able to take the gospel of Christ both to our nearby world and to the ends of the earth. Please call or go to renner.org to make a financial donation so that through your giving, we can continue to make this huge difference in people's lives. Well, today we have covered a lot of material about Nicolaitanism in the first century and Nicolaitanism at the end of the centuries, at the end of the age. It is still working in the church today. And in fact, it seems like it is multiplying inside the church. It's not everybody, but unfortunately, there are some real visible leaders that are lowering the standards kind of encouraging the church just to blend in with everybody else. Friends, we're not everybody else. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That immediately puts us in opposition to other kinds of world thinking. Jesus is the way. There's just one way to go. There's just one truth. And we as Christians are to be committed to the teaching of the Word of God. And just like Jesus said to the believers in Pergamon were to hold fast to the name of Jesus and were not to deny our faith. You may have friends that are beginning to meld their faith and their convictions to get along with other people. Pray for them. Don't be negative. Don't be judgmental of them. I'm sure they're bending to a lot of pressure, but you don't do that. You are not obligated to bend to pressure. And I'm offering you my series called Christ's Message to Pergamum. I want you to be sure to order it Listen to these programs over and over. Use the study guide. 
And we're offering you my book called No Room for Compromise, Christ's Message to Today's Church. This book will challenge you and it will equip you. I want to pray for you. Father, we thank you that we have the power of God to stay put and to be consistent. We thank you, Lord, that we do not have to go the way of the world and the power of the Holy Spirit in me and in my friend quickens us to stay on track. Help us to close our ears to error and to open our eyes to the truth. In Jesus' name. Thank you for being with me today. Remember Ecclesiastes 8.4, where the word of a king is, there's power. Let God's word release its marvelous power in your life today. And I'll see you in the next program.